morning we'll be finalizing this series on the commission of Christ. And Lord willing, um, as far as our series in the book of Matthew is concerned, it will be approximately three years from now before we look at this commission again. So uh, we've looked at it in depth here, and we're going to conclude our uh, examination of it this morning. Matthew 28, verse 16. The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This morning we're going to be looking at verse 20 in two parts, teaching them to observe. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This has been a wonderful series, I hope for you, as much as it has been for me. And what we've learned is, is among other things, is that the commission was directly given to the apostles. And those apostles delivered that commission to not an individual, but to the church. And in giving that commission to the church, what we have seen is that this commission is operating in every genuine New Testament assembly to some measure and to some degree. For instance, do local New Testament churches baptize? The answer to that is yes. And every genuine New Testament church is to be laboring to teach the gathered disciples all things that Jesus has commanded, and a local New Testament assembly, that body of Christ, is to be declaring the excellencies of Christ to a lost and dying world in their geographical location. Now it is true that we can be growing in our application of this, and it is true that we can be growing in our outworking of it, And every genuine New Testament church can improve on that. But every genuine New Testament church is having the commission function within it. So in that sense, the commission is not an on-off type of thing. It's not either we're doing it or we're not doing it. The issue is, to what measure are we functioning in it? And as I've said before, every New Testament church can improve in that area. One of the areas that I think every New Testament church fails in, not in the failing of the sense of not doing it at all, but that is in going purposefully into their community or their neighborhood or their sphere of influence going purposely for the purpose of what? Making 
disciples. I think that phrase there is probably an area that every genuine New Testament church can improve and sharpen in their focus. This commission is the means in a local New Testament church by which God's eternal purposes is being fulfilled in every generation. And this will occur, verse 20, even to the end of the age. In this sense, it is an everlasting commission that is given until the end of the age when our Lord comes back. The authoritative imperative is to make disciples, verse 19. And that authority and that imperative extends into the means, going purposefully to make disciples, and then the disciples are characterized by these two aspects. They have been baptized, thereby identifying themselves with the body of Christ, that is his church, and they have identified with his voice because they are there to observe everything that Jesus has commanded or Jesus has taught. And the pool in which we make these disciples is all the nations. And so every believer confessing, every church proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. It really is a beautiful thing to see that functioning in every genuine New Testament church. And what this means is, is that a church life is not a static life. It's not a stagnant life. It is a life that is dynamic. It is a life that is to be growing and functioning in every New Testament assembly. So first of all, we'll see here in verse 20 that part of the commission is that we are to be teaching them. Them are who? The disciples that are gathered. Teaching them to observe to keep, to obey, to submit to, to yield, teaching them to observe all things that the risen, authoritative Christ has commanded us. And of course, we see that in our New Testament. I want you to turn back to the book of Acts. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. But turn back to Acts chapter 2. Here we are on the first day of the church receiving the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The early church being baptized into the body of Christ. We see that empowerment. We see the church going. That is, they leave that upper room. And we see the early church (coughs) proclaiming Peter's emphasis in this message is to make disciples. And so he concludes that message when he says, verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certainty that God hath made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
And conviction came upon that crowd. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the disciples, Brethren, what shall we do? And in verse 40, it lets us know that Peter not only gave those words, he gave other words, and he solemnly testified, and Peter kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So is there preaching? There is preaching. Is it through the church, the apostolic company? The answer to that is yes. And those people who hear were pierced to the heart. And so they said, what must we do? And in verse 41, we see what happened. So then, those who had received His word were what? Baptized. There you go. You have going with a purpose to make disciples. Here you have a God-called man preaching that extends down into the membership of that early church. They go everywhere confessing the excellencies of Christ. And those who hear and those who receive... They are baptized. Is that what the commission says? That is what the commission says. And then you'll see in verse 41, that same day, there was added to the existing membership of the church at Jerusalem about 3,000 souls. You had people hearing the message, and they were baptized that same what? Day, about 3,000 people. That's a pretty good harvest, would you not agree? And they were added to the church on that day. Now, according to the commission, what would you expect next? You would expect those 3,000 plus people to what? To gather together to be taught, to observe. What do you see? Verse 42. They, that is those 3,000 plus people, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Everybody see that? And to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We see the commission functioning, don't we? In that local New Testament assembly, look at the result of this, verse 43. Everyone, no exception, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, all those who had believed were together. They were together. This was the gathered disciples and had all things in common. Did they observe what they were taught? Verse 45. 
They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. That early church gathered every day. And breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number. How does that happen? Going with purpose to make disciples. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's the commission functioning in a genuine New Testament assembly. What a gift that is. And what a blessing. Now we may not see day by day, and we may not even see week by week or month by month, but we need to be declaring the excellencies of Christ to those in which, in the area in which that local New Testament assembly is. And part of that is that they were continually devoting themselves to apostolic teaching. Were they observing it? They were observing it also. And brethren, that is what we are to be doing. My giving myself to the echoing of what the text is saying with application is part of accomplishing the great commission in a local New Testament assembly. It's not just we're going and that is fulfilling. No, part of this is the teaching that is being communicated to the gathered disciples with ears that are hungry and thirsting for the outworked righteousness of Christ. So if you were to ask us with this understanding, right now, at this moment, are we doing the commission? The answer to that is what? Yes, we are. We are doing that. And this is exactly what 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn over there, chapter 3 in which Paul tells this church this great benefit of the gathered assembly having the message of Christ being echoed to them. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Paul writes, not just the apostolic company, but we all, the apostolic company and the church of Corinth, and every church in every generation since. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. What is this? This is the gathered church. No veil upon the heart of those gathered disciples whose eyes are lock-gazed 
we are beholding as in a mirror. And we know that that illustration of a mirror is illustrative of what? Our Bibles. We have the privilege of having a copy in our hands that we can look down and actually look into the mirror. What do we see when we open our Bible and that is taught for us to observe? We are beholding the glory. The radiant outshining. The glory of the Lord. And you see me do this. We open our Bibles and the Lord who is the Lord of glory shines by His Spirit giving illumination to those words to the eyes of our understanding. And when we behold that and we are lock-gazed on that in the preaching, in the teaching, in your daily devotions, you may not realize it, but you are being changed inwardly from one degree of glory to a greater degree of glory to a greater degree of glory until you behold Him in His glory and then you will be changed completely to be like Him. It's not static. It is dynamic in a local New Testament assembly. And what we're doing when we do that is part of the commission of Jesus Christ. And it's part of our participation in that commission. Folks, that is glorious to think this is what Christ is doing. Going with purpose, baptizing, teaching are all activities that the Lord is doing both on His gathered disciples and through His gathered disciples unto all the nations. What a gift that is. So what does that mean for a local New Testament church? It means that a local New Testament assembly should be full of mature disciples Amen? Maturing disciples and also immature disciples. And folks, when that happens, you, when you hear these words, regardless of where you're at in your maturity with Christ, when you hear these words and you hear the preaching and you look at the text, you may not get everything in that message. But there will be something that the Holy Spirit will put His finger on in your life that you are to be growing and maturing in and you take that as your portion for the day. Some people, when they went out to gather manna, gathered little. And some gathered much. But it's the manna that sustains us. And so in a local New Testament church, what you have is this wonderful teaching, regardless of our maturity, to the gathered disciples. And brethren, the maturing mature, did you hear how I worded that? You never arrive. 
The maturing mature ought to bear with the weaknesses of the maturing immature. Just like a parent bears with the weaknesses of their children. And the maturing immature should listen and give the benefit of the doubt to the maturing mature. What happens is, is that we get saved and we think we have everything ordered and everything right and we've got all our ducks in a row and we know Christ and we immediately begin judging and condemning others. No, the maturing immature should give the benefit of the doubt to the maturing mature. And I've given this, this extreme illustration many times. When I got saved, the man the Lord used in my life to draw me to Christ, if he would have told me, mature believers wear purple polka dotted ties all the time, I would have said, Amen. And I would have gone and gotten a purple polka dotted tie. I would have wore it to the showers. I would have wore it when I slept. And I would have wore it to work. Why? Because I'm giving that man the benefit of the what? The benefit of the doubt. He's been saved longer than I have. He knows more of the Bible than I do. Now, you're glad the Bible doesn't tell you to wear a purple polka dotted tie, right? But folks, the point is this. When we are immature, maturing disciples, there are going to be areas of discernment that you may not initially agree with. When you're teaching people to observe all things that Christ commanded, you're not only teaching the explicit commands, you are teaching how to use the commands in one's daily walk. Everybody hear what I'm saying? In other words... The explicit commands are easy. But utilizing the commands, working them out in your life, that is where controversy happens. And those who have been saved the least amount of time are the most dogmatic about what they can do. Those who are the mature understand more of those applications and discernments. Every church is to be engaged in teaching the gathered disciples to observe it's not just me teaching you and leaving it up 
to you how to observe it. Many evangelical churches are that way. They have great teaching. I benefited a lot from many of their teaching. But what they don't do is apply it. They say, well, we'll just leave it up to the Holy Spirit to do that. And folks, you know the absurdity of that. If you're a parent, you don't just teach your children the explicit commands. You teach them how to do it. You teach them how to speak. You teach them where to go and not go. Right? You're making applications of what the Bible says. It's not just teaching everything that Jesus has commanded. It's teaching them to observe it. It's coming alongside of them and saying, let's obey it. So sometimes people will say, well, I just feel pressure to do what's being taught. Amen. The world's pressuring you to do what it says. There is a holy motivation. There is a holy pressure that is of the Lord to observe all things that Jesus has is commanding. And folks, what the Lord does is that according to Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 14, what the Lord does is He gives gifts of men. And He gives those men who are gifted, pastor, teacher, to local New Testament assemblies, they are from the Lord, to teach them with the result that they no longer walk like the Gentiles walk. Everybody hear what I'm saying? Because there is great pushback in our American Christian culture against application and observation of what Jesus has said. The Bible tells us in Timothy that God has given us the writings to come alongside disciples to reprove them, to correct them, to train them in righteousness. Everybody hear these words. There is a training that is going on. There is, if you want to call it, a transformative education <laughs> that is to be happening in a local New Testament assembly. This is not just an arena that you attend. This is not merely a place to come and have social interaction. 
This is a place where the gathered disciples who are learner followers gather together to not only learn the explicit commandments of Christ, but learn how to apply them in their walk. Now I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. I want to show you this in this one passage. We could go to several passages to see this. We could even look at the epistles on how to see this. But when we're learning to practice, when we're learning to observe what Jesus had commanded, it demands a word I've already used, and that's the word discernment. Hebrews 5, <clears throat> verse 11. Many of us have said that Hebrews is a very difficult book. And there is great difficulty in it. A full, and don't be exact on this, but a full 25% of this book deals with one verse from the Old Testament concerning Melchizedek. <laughs> we have one verse that is exposited and applied. And he says, chapter 5, verse 11, concerning him, that is Melchizedek, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. In other words, the problem lies where in Hebrews 5, verse 11? Not with the speaker, but with the, the hearer. Verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles or the Word of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now when he says milk and not solid food, he's using the illustration of a what? Of a baby. When a baby comes into this world, you don't feed them beefsteak. You don't go in and say, well, I've got this chopped food over here and start giving it to the baby. The baby needs milk. And in fact, that's what the baby's yearning for. Just like Peter would write in Peter. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Well, these people have been saved, and there's different accounts on how long that these people had known the Lord. Some guess somewhere around five years. They had spent five years not really maturing. Why? They had not developed the right sense of hearing. And so because of that, the writer of this sermon, and it is a sermon, writes to them and says, well, what your need is, is for me to rehearse things of milk, not of meat. 
Now note verses 13 and 14. For, he's giving a reason. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. Why? For he is an infant. And folks, what we have today in the church are people of professing Christians who have been saved 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 20, 30, 35, 40 years who can't handle a 30-minute, 45-minute, hour-sustained exposition of their Bible. They're not accustomed to that. Why? Because they've only given themselves to milk. Everybody see what I'm saying here? Alright, verse 14. Well, let's talk about solid food. But solid food is for the mature. Now how do you get mature? Who because of practice. Everybody see that word? Because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. In other words, folks, they have taken the milk and they have begun to grow and in their growing, what they've done is put it into practice. And when they put it into practice, their ability, this is what the word senses mean, their ability to make right judgments their ability to discern right and wrong, their ability to discern should I do this or should I not do this, their ability to make wise decisions based on the framework of what they've learned and heard has matured in them. And because of that, they have grown and because of that, they are able to take more and more solid food into their souls. And I'll never forget what my wife has told me, not a lot, but on several occasions, but it's stuck. She's looked at me, <clears throat> she calls me pastor when she does this. She says, pastor, we need a little milk to wash down the meat. Every message should have milk and meat for both the maturing immature and the maturing mature. But we shouldn't say to ourselves, well, it'd just be better if we had a church full of infants. No, a church has to mature. This is what the commission is all about. 
So as we go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 28, what we see here is that this teaching to observe everything that Jesus had commanded them is to be going on in local New Testament churches. And if that church only had one book, and that is the book of Matthew, that teaching of all that Jesus commanded would center around five discourses in this book. And the first one would be the Sermon on the Mount. And you remember, we read in our Scripture reading, at the end of that message, our Lord gives an invitation. And He says to them, the person who hears and acts on what I've taught is like a man building his house on a, on a rock. And the winds come and the waves come and the rain comes and beats on that house. But it doesn't thaw because it was built on a rock. The man has heard and acted he has learned and followed. But on the other hand, and there were multitudes in that day that did this, they heard what He said, but they did not act. And they built a house. Did they build a house? They built a house. But it wasn't on the rock, it was on sand. Now folks, you can build a house and lay a foundation of a house much quicker on easy dirt versus rock. To lay a foundation in rock takes energy to lay that foundation. And the person that builds their house on a sand, how do they do that? By hearing but not doing. They do build a house just like the other guy. And the winds do hit that house just like the other guy. And the rains hit that house just like the other guy. And it doesn't stand. It what? It collapses. <coughs> and so we have that first sermon. The second sermon is in Matthew 10, and this is about going with purpose to make disciples. That's part of the commission, isn't it? And He's going to give us warning and encouragement and tell it like it really is going to happen. The third message concerns the parables of the kingdom, Matthew chapter 13. He's going to tell us about how people receive the Word. He's going to tell us about the pearl of great price. He's going to tell us how we grow. He's going to tell us what happens at the end of the age when the angels come. 
The fourth message is in Matthew chapter 18. And in that message, he's going to talk about our relationships among gathered disciples. We're to be humble as a child with one another. And then the fifth discourse is in Matthew 24 through chapter 25. And in that, he's going to talk about the end of the age and His coming. And folks, in the commission, He says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. So at minimum, if all you had was the book of Matthew, do you have enough teaching to be a learner follower? Absolutely. But then the Lord expands that to the church when we were delivered not only the book of Matthew, we were delivered Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, right? All the way through the book of Revelation and the canon's finished. And we spend our lives wanting to know what those words say to be, to be a learner who's being transformed and acting on what we are learning. And folks, even James himself says, but be a doer of the Word and not a mere hearer. Can you finish that verse? Deceiving yourselves. If you think church is about coming and learning a lot of facts, but not obeying it, you have no intention of obeying it, you are deluding yourself. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, but it's He who does the will of my Father. What is the will of God? What did Jesus say the will of God was in the Sermon on the Mount? To hear what He taught and what? Do it. Everybody following me? This is what it means to teach them to observe all that I commanded you. And folks, as we learn and observe, it is God's favor upon us to be able to do it. It's His grace that enables us to do that. What a blessing that is. So we're to make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? We go purposefully. Those who receive the Word are to be baptized into local New Testament assemblies. Those who have been baptized in local New Testament assemblies are to gather themselves together not abandoning the gathering of themselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as the day approaches. They gather together in local New Testament assemblies for a man who is a gift from Christ to the church to be teaching, to be echoing all that Jesus commanded and making application of that and us obeying it. Now, what is the great thing about this? And that is this. 
Jesus has promised to be with the assembly that is doing that. He says in Matthew 28, verse 20, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And when you read Revelation chapter 2 and 3, where do you find the Lord? He's in the midst of the candlesticks, the lampstands, which are the churches. The authoritative, the one who's been given all authority, the authoritative risen Christ is with a church the word you there is plural. He is with the church who gives themselves to this commission as their aim and purpose of that assembly. And folks, what that means is is that His presence is guaranteed to that assembly of gathered disciples regardless of the number attending that assembly. In Matthew 18, He's going to say, where two or three are gathered together in My what? I am there. Do you hear that? We tend to judge whether Christ is present in a ministry or not by the attendees. He doesn't. And we shouldn't. Whether it be two or three, or whether it's a larger group, the authoritative risen Christ and His presence by His Spirit is assured to not leave that assembly that is operating where, that, where this commission is operating. So if I was to ask you, is He, is he here now? The answer to that is yes. And folks, isn't it a gift that His promised presence to a gathered group of disciples is also guaranteed to you as an individual disciple? The writer of Hebrews writes to that gathered assembly, I will never leave you nor forsake you. His authority, His presence, His grace. Have you ever read the epistles? Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Who's the you? The church. And folks, what this book ends with 
Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Is how this book began. Turn back to Matthew 1. And he begins with this. Matthew chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 21. She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which translates means God with us. Do you see that? The book begins by the incarnation of the Son of God. That incarnation of the Son of God. What does that mean among other things? God with us. And he concludes the book by saying, until the end of the age, Emmanuel, God is with you. This is a wonderful blessing. The incarnation of the Son of God to be present with His people moved from heaven to earth in the form of a babe. The Word became flesh. Now listen to what John writes and tabernacled. He's the temple. He tabernacled among us. That risen man whose name is Jesus, He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. Rose from the grave, and where is He now? Seated at the very right hand of the throne of God, and He has promised us by His own Spirit to be with the church and with His people. All of that is all in anticipation of Revelation chapter 21 which says, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, but now He's at the right hand of the throne of God. Behold, Revelation says, The tabernacle of God is among men and He will dwell with them and they shall be His people. And look at this. God Himself will be among them. From heaven to earth, earth to glory, Giving His own Spirit, He will not leave us as orphans. His presence is with His church and with His people.
And one day, the heavenly Jerusalem, which is the Holy of Holies, shall dwell on a mount of new heaven and new earth. And that new heaven and new earth will become the cosmic universe tabernacle of God. Emmanuel, God with us. It is the body of Christ who can fulfill the working of Christ's own commission in its midst. It is the body of Christ, the church, that purposely goes, every member in confession and walking, proclaiming the excellencies of Christ in order to make disciples. It is the church that is authorized to baptize those disciples, mentioning to others that they have been incorporated into the body of Christ and into its local expression. And it is that gathered church that is to be reflective of hearing His voice and to be reflective of the obedience of Christ in its midst, learning and <coughs> observing all that Christ commanded. And that means preeminently the commands in the new covenant. This is the commission. <laughs> and folks, if we're, if we're thinking to ourselves, we're waiting around for some special individual to show up in our church who will give themselves a living sacrifice to minister this commission. And then they pat themselves on the back saying, I have fulfilled the Great Commission. This is fallacy. This is foolishness. It's not given to an individual. It's delivered from the apostles to local New Testament churches of every age. And do you know, in a sense, do you know how all this begins in a local New Testament church? It actually begins in reverse. What do I mean? Every disciple is being taught to observe. They're being changed. And being taught to observe, they go out with purpose to declare the excellencies of what they've been taught and learned and observing to a lost and dying world. We're to be taking His name to everyone. Not every church is given the privilege of sending out missionaries. But every church can have the commission operating in its midst. Every church does not have the blessing of having people called to be missionary evangelists or to be a pastor. 
But every church can have this commission operating in its midst. And brethren, in the midst of all our fears, in the midst of all our deficiencies, in the midst of all our immaturity, God is with us. Do you hear that? God is with us. To the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray.